Good morning. You're listening to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. I'm your host, John Sumser, and today we're going to be talking with Stella Lupishore. Stella, how are you? Good morning, John. Uh, would you take a moment and introduce yourself? I, I bet there are two or three people in the audience who are not aware of your fame and infamy. I bet there are more than two, but I'd be delighted to um start the, the conversation with the introduction. So my name is Stella Lupashor, and I am the self-proclaimed chief reframer with Reframework, which is a consulting company uh, that really helps organizations think about the workplace of the future and how technology is disrupting that workplace and how organizations can start preparing for those disruptions, be that by tapping into new sources of talent or rethinking um, how the workplace is designed and organized, how the work gets orchestrated, what are the value systems that are changing, and all of this on the backdrop of uh, different demographic shifts. And um, the reason I had a little uh, chuckle when I said um, Chief Refrayer is about two years ago, I decided to go independent. I left the corporate world and uh, started the reframe work. And as I was debating what what do I call myself now that I have the opportunity to give myself a title, and of course, you have to do research, you have to look what public opinion says you need to do when you get into this at this stage. And the debate was, well, you can call yourself CEO, you can call yourself president, you all sorts of variations. And all of them felt wrong and felt really too big for really an independent um, consultant. And it's like, okay, I, I think I'll, I'll do it a little lighter. I'll, uh, I'll just call myself um, chief reframer because I'm in the reframing business. And I went on, posted that update on LinkedIn, and then a couple of days later, I got a request from um, Adam Munoz um, to connect. And uh, Adam is in the framing industry, as in Windows framing industry. <laughs> and that's when I realized I found my tribe. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so clearly you're not in the Windows business. What do you mean by reframing? <laughs> It's really helping um, companies think differently about the changes around us, how we as individuals engage with work, with employers, how we want to be motivated or um, rewarded and look for different meaning in the workplace and, and uh, in general when we engage with uh, employers. Let me give you an example. If you... Um, Consider um, labor markets nowadays, right? You have labor shortages. You everybody is uh, concerned about three point seven unemployment rate. Um, everyone seems to be going after technical talent, and whoever is you know is able to spell Java or um, you know Python is going to be hired uh, immediately, and the the premise behind this is that you have to start with a job description and the job description is really the the only truth that will describe who i need as an employer to hire when in fact that puts so many limitations right you have somebody who may um have a template that has been used for the past, I don't know, five to 10 years to describe a role. 
and the world has changed or all the skills and capabilities and requirements may not necessarily suit you in the long term. However, that limits the types of talent that you may have access to just because you put all of these restrictions. A way to reframe that conversation and saying, hey, you need to start with what really the work is and how can you describe it in terms of skills and capabilities? And then how can you organize it in such that you can tap into people who are able to get it done and orchestrate it differently? Of course, this goes absolutely against uh, the traditional ways of um, describing and looking for talent and hiring and all the HR processes that go along with it. So it's going to take a long time to shift that mindset, but you have to start the conversation differently. You start with small pilots. You start with um, experiments and alliances with smaller niche organizations to solve some of the big fundamental problems that um, present employers deal with. Does it make sense? Yeah, okay. So so we'll dig deep into that as we go on through this conversation. How did you end up doing this? And that's a, that's a pretty esoteric world that you just described. How did you find your way here? Oh, it was a, a very long, scenic route. Um, and it's mostly driven by the curiosity. And the funny thing is when people ask, well, what is your um, five-year plan? It, it all this strikes me as the, the most limiting question for a lot of people's career. Because if I had a plan, uh, a five-year plan uh, back when I graduated college and I engaged in the workforce, uh, I would have been still back in Moldova, where I'm from, and maybe doing some computer programming or um, you know, some back office functions, as opposed to leaning into what that future is bringing and how can you take advantage of it and, and sometimes take a leap of faith uh, without knowing what the consequences might be. So the curiosity, curiosity about what the future may hold has always been with me, but I really started um, in math and computer science, um, worked for large uh, consulting uh, farms such as Pricewaterhouse, PricewaterhouseCoopers, and then IBM after PwC Consulting was acquired. I played a variety of internal roles at IBM in HR, mostly consulting, um, ranging from uh, custom system development, uh, IT strategy development, uh, shared services transformation for HR, um, HR strategy development, social analytics, and then towards the later part of my career, I really got engaged in some of the forward thinking type work, future of work related um, projects. And that's where I realized I found my place. And ever since I've been on the mission to really open the mind about opportunities that we see in that future, and it's not actually future, it's really the present of work. Um, but how, especially HR organization has the ability to influence that future for all of us, uh, workers. So it became my mission to, um, help the HR practitioners and business leaders think differently about the modern workplace and how they can adapt or reframe the narrative about the opportunities in it. Got it. So, so what does a normal day for a head reframer look like? <laughs> Um, imagine a multi-lane uh, highway with many, many cars <laughs> racing down. Um, 
well, let's say it starts on Monday, um, getting up at mid-morning, then getting on a computer to have a radio interview with John Samser. <laughs> um, there's no day um, that it's alike any other. Uh, every single day is very different and fast-paced. And it includes really juggling multiple um, work responsibilities. In addition to leading my consulting uh, work, through the reframe work, I also have a few other um, work lanes, so to speak. Um, so one is with uh, the conference board where I lead the Strategic Workforce Planning Council and the Human Capital Analytics Institute um, and a few other councils. And then I also have a nonprofit organization um, I founded this year called Amazing Community, which is focused on... Um, transforming the narrative about aging and helping women expand the work horizon. So really helping them prepare for the skills of the future so that they can return or stay in the workforce. So yes, there's not one single day that looks the same. It's all depending on the um, uh, activities of the day and what comes. Okay, so we're going to take our little normal midpoint course correction here. And when we come back, we will be talking about the intersection of AI analytics and data. You are listening to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. Did you know 86% of career seekers would commit five years to an employer offering a student loan repayment benefit program? Even more amazing, only 4% of employers offer one. Benefit Ed makes it easy to introduce this in-demand benefit any time of year. Simple administration for you, simple sign-up for employees. You can help them pay down student loans or save for college. Compete for the best and build your dream team. Learn more at youbenefit.com slash hrx. That's y-o-u-benefit-ed.com slash hrx. And we really want to shout out the Benefit Ed people. Thanks for sponsoring the show. And, and please do check them out at youbenefited.com slash HRX. All right, Stella, here we go to the meat. Um, um, let's talk about how these um, various trends, AI, people analytics, and sort of the reemergence of data as an asset all circle around the drain that is your reframing business. <laughs> yes. And you are part of it as well. So if you read different reports by 2022, Americans will be spending additional 11 minutes daily with technology and media. So this will take us up to 12 hours and 32 minutes. And really what we're doing right now with you is an example of that type of um, evolution right? Podcasts will become more the norms and there will be more listeners to it. And um, so the projections are that they will get to 132 monthly listeners. Um, this will be uh, another source of revenue for podcasters. Um, and all of this participation and uh, engagement with technology and with the media will create even more content 
that can be analyzed and help make decisions. So you said, you know, the reaches of the data, it, it, you know, but you've probably heard so many people say it referred to it as the oil of the modern century. And yes, you, you really go through the same process. You mine it, you refine it, you um, distribute it, you help people in, make informed decisions as a result of that data. And it's, it creates so many new opportunities and, and disrupts industries in a big way. Um, just think about what, uh, let's say, Amazon um, did to many industries, right? You you start with an online book selling business and then you end up in um, broader retail, online retail. And by the way, by 2022, uh, it's expected that the um, e-commerce is going to hit an inflection point. Uh, I'm sorry, in 2019, so that's next year. And the online e-commerce revenue will bypass and surpass the physical retail. So it's moving into that direction where the life is all online and Amazon is a case in point. But then on top of that, they got into electronics, into media and content production. They have a couple of Oscars to sprinkle with. They're going to go to Mars. Um solve the um, the pharma and medical and, and uh, healthcare problems for us. There's not one single nook or cranny they're not getting into. And it's a perfect example of that type of disintermediation, all the neatly organized value chains and industries that are experiencing. There are a lot of technology first companies that move into adjacent spaces. They find these um, big challenging um, pain points for customers or consumers, and then they apply technology to solve it. In addition to just solving the problem, they also create a whole big exhaust of data that then can be used to understand and detect patterns, to um, optimize the system differently, to um, gain insights and help um either monetize that through whatever advertisement um, revenue that you can create or uh, inform your decisions better. So you can target, micro-target almost the recommendations to the preferences of one single user as opposed to a huge swath of um, a big segment. So that's a that's a big swirl of stuff. What do you think the ethical issues are in the middle of all that? I would describe it that um, we are in a if AI was a thing that is uh, has a normal life lifespan, I would say that it's bouncing between toddler age and teen age. You really have a, a in some cases just plain, uneducated little um, technology that may not know how to behave, especially if left unsupervised. And sometimes you have somewhat daring and pushing the boundaries um, type of capabilities. And this is all to say that you really need a, a more adult uh, supervision and intervention and ability to monitor um, the black box that is informing decisions um, why? Well, you have a lot of lives that are being influenced. You have a lot of, uh, uh, you know, how the news gets served up to you that informs how you then make decisions about your um, 
political situation in the country or uh, voting rights or the social norms that get evolved. It also influences in the workplace your ability to get a job or not get a job. So think about all of the HR um, organizations that are now getting on a bandwagon of people analytics are in the constant pursuit of that perfect candidate, um, the success profile that will provide them with um, productivity and performance and high engagement and potential, you name it. However, let's think, most likely that success profile will not include somebody who is an aging woman or somebody who had a big career gap, or somebody who may be in a different industry that normally you would hire. And this goes back to the um, original point that we started with. You really need to rethink what work is and how you find the perfect skill and capability to match um, that requirement, as opposed to saying, here's what the data says, and here's what we're going to look for, and therefore exclude everybody else. Um, this the, the blind assumption that the data has all the right answer and deferring to it um, to make the right decision for you, it creates unintended consequences for those who cannot really um, vouch for themselves sometimes. It creates uh, financial insecurity for people in underserved communities and those who cannot afford education. And I think we as humans really need to... Um, put ourselves in the shoes of that number that we're analyzing. It's like, what if I was that person based on this data that the decision would be made on? How would I feel about that? So there was all this, um, you know, responsibility to watch out for the bias in the data and also watch out for the decisions we're going to make as a result of it. So, so I wonder if there isn't a better way. You know, you said you said what you need to do is put yourself in the shoes of of the people who are influenced by the um, process. And mm-hmm. one of the trends that I'm starting to see unfold is that um, data science teams are starting to not want to have subject matter experts on the data science team because they're incapable of understanding what it's like to be on the receiving end of their work. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think about that? Um, I would tend to disagree. And, and I think the last podcast you had with um, the uh, founder of Coral um, kind of pointed closer to the end of the podcast to that. Um they, I believe, if I'm relating the the conversation, they hired a few. Uh, they added to their data science team a few women and a few women of color, which made for the algorithm a much better, um, a much better tuned algorithm that was um, taking into account m- multiple. Uh, um, Abnormal, abnormalities that normally the, the algorithm would result in. And that's a perfect example of how organizations need to really staff their teams. You really need to have um, a full re- representation on the team, uh, not only to help you build a better model on algorithm, but also avoid or at least prevent or, or make you stop and pause um, before thinking that you um, 
you know, found the best solution to, to the problem. Sometimes um, within a moment seems to be the most logical and most optimal uh, application of an algorithm can land you on a front page of the Wall Street Journal. Think about Cambridge Analytica, think about the uh, Amazon hiring, uh, um, biased hiring algorithm. So there are a lot of, uh, you know, great exercises, which in, in the eyes of the developers and data science scientists seem to be like a really exciting project that you can um, make a difference and play with the data. But at the same time, you need to have an adult that says, hey, hey, that <laughs> have you thought about the unintended consequences? Have you thought about what if this goes wrong? Um, and I think having a diverse representation on the team and more importantly, having um older uh, individuals who have seen how things may go wrong or can have that voice of reason can help alleviate some of these downstream issues. So you need real adult supervision. <laughs> let's, let's, let's drift back into, into what you were talking about. And, and, and I'm curious about how one thinks about unintended consequences. Right? Because because the fact that they're unintended means that it's hard to think about them. So 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 do you have in your in your reframers toolkit? Do you have a method for um, imagining the things that you didn't think would happen? Um, yes, and it, it is really the framework by which I organize a lot of the workshops, and I refer to it. Four W's as four W's. So let's let's imagine you wake up in the morning and you go open the news feed and uh, typically in the technology or business section, and then you find the news flash or some new development or some new exciting things that is uh, propping up in in the lab somewhere. The way to analyze and deconstruct the impact is is really apply these four W's and let me go through them. Um, first is work. So what is the definition of work? Should this new technology or invention become commonplace? So what will work look like and how would you describe it? Then what is the workforce composition that is necessary to get it done? And that can be a full range of regular employees, contingent workers, crowds, engaging with clients, um, co-creating something with a bunch of partners or even chatbots, they're part of your workforce. And third W is the workplace. So based on the combination of the first two, then you have a lot more flexibility to think about the workplace. And um, that is a combination of both physical and digital and how you define it as well as how you integrate. It requires a different set of skills and thinking and design thinking especially. And then the last W is the worth, as in the value system that is shifting and then the motivating factors that will um, help this ecosystem work better. So let me give an example. Um, two years ago, uh, Lowe's deployed uh, an exoskeleton at their Virginia um, uh, warehouse. Exoskeletons help people with normal abilities or limited abilities to lift heavier objects. It, it, it pushes the, um, it, it amplifies their physical movements. So if we apply the four W's construct, 
what is work in this case, right? You need to think from just job descriptions. How will that impact how you recruit for talent? Will you now possibly not need to have just strong people in warehouse um, locations, but you also can hire people with limited abilities and maybe even disabilities and not as strong dudes or dudettes. Um, you may also start thinking differently about the choices of words you include in those job descriptions. Um, uh, strong, um, you know, and physical abilities may not be as emphasized as, as the ability to manipulate the machinery. In terms of the workplace, traditionally the width of the um, aisle between shelves in the warehouse is driven by the forklift, right? The size because the forklift needs to be able to move around and lift all the objects. Now that you have humans who are able to lift heavier stuff, possibly you can configure a warehouse and increase the capacity because you can um, shrink the width in certain aisles where you only put things that only humans can lift with, uh, with exoskeletons. In terms of the work um, force and workplace and, and, and worth, right? Will you have the ability to influence the uh, number of injuries? Possibly, yes. Will you be able to um, get people excited just because you're issuing them some really new cool things that amplifies their ability? Possibly. Will you have to think differently about the performance management and how you evaluate those with um, exoskeletons as opposed to those without? So you get now into a very different conversation in terms of what is the HR processes and policies you need to put in place. How can you make sure that you're not creating an environment of unfairness just by reintroducing this great new technology to amplify your physical abilities? But this is just the physical. If you start thinking about a lot of the digital enablements that are amplifying our um, human abilities, it's it's getting really, really um, you know interesting to apply this type of framework. Um, if you think about now we can learn where um, the algorithms can learn uh, the voice intonation and modulation and can possibly recreate our conversation as if, you know, John is talking to Stella, but with a very different script, there will be very difficult to understand the difference between the two. And how can you control and design policies for stuff like that? How can you uh, make sure there's no... Um, negative impact on the individual reputation as well as the organizational reputation just because you are able to manipulate um, the output by using technology and, and, um, and AI. Wow. Wow. So we have blown through our time. There's so much to talk about. We'll have to do this again pretty soon. What would you, what would you like a listener to take away from our call? Um, I think there are two main points that I probably would suggest. One is, yes, AI is very powerful, but it's still in its infancy. It requires a lot of adult um, involvement and supervision, as well as empathy building. And we shouldn't shy away from just saying, well, AI, I don't, I'll never be a data scientist. There's a lot of um, ways to influence how it's being developed, to test it out, to make sure it's inclusive, to make sure it doesn't uh, negatively impact uh, certain segments. So 
being curious about what it is and how you can apply it and how it's used will give you a voice and you know success begets success and the, once you once you learn a little bit it's much easier to say oh i'm going to learn something bigger and bigger and bigger and that brings me to the second point jobs are bound and yes while we think yes all of this technology um spaces and jobs may be unattainable especially for people who are not digital native um, but it's it's that curiosity that will help you open a whole new page and a new phase. And it's exciting because there's a lot of opportunity to apply and bring your maturity to and be the real adult in the room to help some of the new technologies become reality in, in, in a positive way, in a humanizing way. Well, thanks. Thanks. So if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, would you reintroduce yourself and give some contact? Absolutely. Um, so again, my name is Stella Lupushor. I am the chief reframer of reframe.work. And you can find me on LinkedIn. And you can also send me an email at Stella at reframe.work. Thanks so much for taking the time to do this, Stella. It was an amazing conversation. I, I really appreciate that you cut time out of your Thank day. Thank you so much, John, for the opportunity. Yes, you've been listening to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. We've been talking with Stella Lupashore. That's S-T-E-L-A-L-U-P-U-S-H-O-R, Stella Lupashore, who is the head reframer at reframe.work. We really appreciate you listening, and we will be here again same time next week. Thanks so much. Bye-bye now. Mm-hmm.